come back to something we said initially. I speak to a lot of people. I talk in front of groups, but I listen now much more. One of the things that I hear over and over and over and over, say over until my uncle said 99.9%, right? is that most of us have an inability to receive. Mm -hmm. We try, we're great givers. Those of us who give are great givers. But what do we actually let in? How vulnerable do we allow ourselves to be? How much do we allow ourselves to say, maybe I don't have the right answer? In our businesses, How open are we to let that janitor that my uncle was giving me the broom to become tell tell us what what he sees Mm -hmm. from his perspective of the business, sweeping the floors, collecting the trash, and throwing away the papers that everybody's worked so hard to have and to write on. What perspective could that person bring to our business if we actually took 10 minutes to listen What perspective could we see from the people that we think are trying to tear our business apart? Because remember my daughter's theory, speak, yell, disrupt, destroy. Mm -hmm. What What are the people within our own companies doing? Why are they yelling? Why are they disrupting? Why are they trying to destroy? Because they just don't feel heard. Mm -hmm. What would happen if we had the courage to empty our bucket just a little? And if we had even more courage to completely let go of everything that we're holding on to and allow this fresh new energy to come in that would guide us to places that we couldn't even imagine were possible Mm -hmm. in our relationships, in our business, in our self-concept, in the way we walk through the world. That's why I'm going out to, to, on this trip to listen because it's in the voices of other people that I'll hear my voice. Yes. It's in the voice of sitting with the Ku Klux Klan and the hatred that I feel that I, that I hate that, their hatred that I'll come in touch with the hatred that I've buried so deeply inside of me mm-hmm. that I don't even know it's there. I'm so ashamed of but I wouldn't hate them if I didn't have that in, if I didn't have some of that hatred in me. Again, we don't live in the world. We live in the mirror. We live in the mirror. I love that. And so when we can see that we live in a, in the mirror, then tell me about the person that is pissing you off so much. Tell me about the person that you can't get along with. Tell me about the person that you think is a friggin' idiot. And look at yourself and say, what am I saying about myself? Because that person is me. So what is the, first of all, let, let's just let people in a little bit. You know, the book is in the mosaic. So the what's the mosaic? It's not in the mosaic, the mosaic. The mosaic, okay. Yeah. So what, what, what is, what is, if you were to define it, what is the mosaic? Well, um, 
when you think about a mosaic, it doesn't take a lot of imagination. A mosaic is a lot of pieces. Some of them are broken, some of them are whole, some of them are big, some of them are small, some of them are shiny, some of them are dull, some of them are different colors, some of them are different textures, some of them are all sorts of things. When we let go, here's one thing the mosaic, the, the street artist told Mo in the story, and it's maybe a good answer to your question. Mo comes and meets the street artist. And he, see, he stands across the street and watches him do his art. And it takes him a while to come up to him. But he's standing across the street and he watches as people come with big bags of broken pieces. And they empty these broken pieces out in front of the mosaic maker on the street. And the mosaic maker takes all of these pieces and, and receives them and accepts them and thanks all of the people that bring all these broken things to him. And when Mo finally comes up and says to him, what are you doing? He says, I receive the brokenness of all people. Broken pieces tell amazing stories. Mm -hmm. And when you sit with them and let them talk to you and tell you their story, they tell you of what they used to be. They tell you of how much they, how, how much honor and glory they had when they were this beautiful pot or this beautiful frame or this beautiful statue. And now they're just a broken piece and they feel like they've lost all that glory and all that glamor and all that importance because now they're just a broken piece. And they don't know who they are anymore and what those pieces are and what, they're, what they can do in their brokenness. But he said, the beauty of what I do is I take all these broken pieces and I put them together. And together they create something so much more exquisite than anything that they ever were. They become a mosaic that is made exquisitely beautiful by the brokenness of every single person. Because you couldn't, you could, I guess you could make a mosaic from pots and frames and things like that. It'd be interesting. But it, would ha it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be what this mosaic is. Everybody can see a mosaic on the floor, on the window, in a stained glass, and whatever they want to do. We make these mosaics. And they're so beautiful. So what the mosaic is to me is a symbol of the fact that we were never meant to do this alone. We were never meant to try and, and fix the world or become or be these superhumans. Everybody's walking around saying, my superpower is this and this is what I am. When I ask people on a scale of one to 10, with 10 being what you want for yourself and what you die to have your kids be, and one being what you would hate to be yourself and what you'd hate for your kids to be. I ask them, where do you place the word ordinary? 80, 95% of the people say to me, ordinary is a one or a two. I say on that same scale, where do you place the word extraordinary? Oh my God, 10, 15, 20. We want our kids to be extraordinary. We want to live an extraordinary life. I said, pardon me for being stupid. But if ordinary is something you don't want to be, why do you want to be extra of something you don't want to be?
And they said, whoa, I don't mean it that way. You know, I don't, I'm not, that's not, I said, no, but I, I understand. But isn't it interesting in the English language that that's what, that's how we, we do it. Mm-hmm. What the mosaic taught me is that extraordinary things happen when extraordinaries come together. What could be more beautiful than a sunrise? It is completely ordinary. We know exactly the minute of the day it will happen, and we know every single day it will happen. What could be more exquisite than buds coming on a tree that has been barren all winter, and now suddenly flowers and, and, and leaves and, and, and foliage appears where it wasn't there before? What could be more beautiful than that? And that's completely ordinary. It happens every spring. Mm-hmm. What could be more ordinary than day turning into night and how beautiful that is? And night turning into day and day doesn't want to be night and night doesn't want to be day. We think that we have to be more than we are, which then puts a bar over our head that is unsustainable for us to reach. And so we loathe ourselves for not being able to reach this bar that we've put over our head, this perception that we've created of who we have to be, which is these extraordinary superhuman people with all our superpowers. What's so bad about being ordinary? Who doesn't want to be a sunrise? Mm-hmm. And when extraordinaries come together, extraordinary things happen. It's a very cool way of looking at it. I, 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 I love these deeper dives into the English language, which is, you know, not as romantic as, as, a, as a Latin language. And yet there are so many things in there that we, we don't realize we're saying, like, you know, extraordinary, more of the ordinary. Yes. And at the same time, finding the beauty, the magnificence in more of the ordinary, but when it collectively comes together, is a beautiful place for us to take a break. So stay tuned. We're going to come back in a moment because, of course, this episode is brought to you by the Awesome Music Project, and which is a collecting, connecting music, science, and story to enhance mental health. You can find out more about the Awesome Music Project at the uh, awesomemusicproject.com. They have a foundation, you can find out more about them, about their books, about the differences that they are making. It's really important work. I'm a big supporter of it. I'm actually featured in the book, and I really recommend it. There's some phenomenal stories in there from people like Sarah McLaughlin and uh, Michael Buble, and many other people that you would know, uh, astronauts, artists, etc really understanding the importance of music and connecting it to mental health and what we can do to really be more connected to each other through music and how music lifts us up and actually changes the way the brain works. So we're here with Daniel Levin. So we're going to be back in three, two, one. Welcome back. We're here with Daniel Levin, and we're talking about the mosaic and what that really means. So where we were just expanding into was looking into the ordinary and what the ordinary is and what the extraordinary is. And if you want to join in this conversation, then come on over to our Facebook group. Just look for 
Curiosity Bites on Facebook. You can find the group in there and you can have a conversation with us. We can chat about what's going on with this cup, with actually all of the episodes we're, we're talking about. As you know, on this show, we get deep, we dive deep and we, we go off on wonderful, beautiful, meandering tangents into uh, taking these paths that have not been trodden before into the mind, into the heart and into the soul. And we're doing that right now with Daniel Levin, who is the author of The Mosaic, uh, an allegoric journey that invites you to see the world in a new point of view, and uh, one that focuses on what connects us to each other and what it is that actually brings us happiness. So let's, let's go back to Daniel. Thank you, Daniel. Come on back. I'm and here. Let, let's dive in. Let, let's, let's keep going here. You know, one of the things you... You know, you brought up a couple of tragic events, um, and uh, and I use that term generically um, because I think a tragic event is, first of all, subjective, and second of all, transient. And what I mean by that is that uh, what is tragic to me is not tragic to someone else. That's subjective, and transient meaning that oftentimes something that we perceive as tragic in the moment later on becomes a magnificent gift. The event has not changed, but the perspective has changed. Yes. You talked about um, uh, having a developmentally challenged, uh, delayed daughter. Um, you also talked about having lost your mom and your dad when you were 13 and 15. Can you walk us back a little bit through those events, those three very major events that I, I'm certain each one of them at the time felt tragic? Yes, of course. Um, it's not even each one of them at the time. I'll just, I'll just share with you something that just happened last week. Sure. A friend of mine from when I was growing up as a kid in Philadelphia so somehow contacted me, found me out of the out of the midst of the wonder of the internet, and contacted me on Facebook and said, I don't know if you'll remember me, but you know, I was a friend of yours growing up. And he sent me a picture of of all of us, the guys that we hung out with. Um, and I remember, so here's what's here's to me what my tragedy of my own life is. The death of my parents was has, has so affected me still mm -hmm. that I blocked out a lot of my life. His name is as familiar to me as I could be. I mean, I, I know his name. I, when, he, when he told me his name, I went, wow, this is him. Everything else about him I couldn't remember. Hmm. It was as if I was, it was as if it was a dream or a story somebody had told me, but that I had no participation of. And he said, oh, that you, you don't remember that we created a band together when we were kids? And you don't remember that we did, you don't remember that we played ball every day at the schoolyard together? And I said, I remember your name, but I don't remember anything else. Mm. And so... And imagine to a guy who listens, who wants to understand perspective, how much I've blocked out of the life that I had as a kid. Mm -hmm. 
and how that life has gone from me. And how do I rediscover that? How do I get back into that? And so I said, would you be willing to just sit with me and talk with me and just share with me some of those memories to see if it can jar loose? It's like, it's like something got lost for me. Would you do it? He said, absolutely. You're like, you were like my, one of my closest buddies growing up. I said, I'm so sorry to say to you, I don't remember, I don't remember that. And so what it made me look at is I think I'm a fairly conscious guy. But if I could have blocked out 15 years of my life because of the pain of one situation, what else am I blocking out? What else am I not seeing? What perceptions of life are driven by my ability to see only the things that I'm willing to see? Why don't we listen to each other? That was our first question we asked. Mm. I think we're scared to death to go to that place of emptiness. I'm scared to death to look back in my, forget about what we are scared to do. Let me talk to you and me, because this is you and me talking. I don't know what anybody else is scared, but there's some fear that I have of unlocking that door of pain, of experiencing the loss of my dad and my mom two years apart on the same day. that doesn't allow me to go into that room and see all of the rest of, I mean, I have little memories. You know, I remember my dad doing certain things with my mom. I remember our having dinners together. I remember him singing and my mom crooning and, crooning and you know, like a, like a, you know, like a, someone who was a big fan of his. I remember lots of little moments, but I don't remember my life like that. Mm-hmm. I don't remember a guy who said he was my close, one of my closest friends. What I want to just use my own life as an example of for me and for anybody who's listening, who's willing to go there. Is why, what would be possible if we could allow ourselves to unlock those doors of pain? What could be possible if I went back now and I'm I'm in, I'm in the practice of doing it. This just happened last week. So now my practice is to go in and try and unlock the door of that pain and say, I want you to talk to me. I want you to, I want to listen to you so that I can understand what I'm so scared to experience Mm -hmm. because I want those experiences back. Those will be, those are my, that's my life. Like I say to people, we're the author of our book. We decide what the stories are. We decide what the chapters say. We decide what to include and what to not include. But here I am. I'm not allowing myself to include a whole segment of my life because of what? Because it hurts? What are those hurts that are keeping us from experiencing our life? What are they? What are those hurts that make me not allow my wife to come closer to me? Mm -hmm. What are those hurts that don't allow me to grow my business bigger, better? What are those hurts that don't allow, that don't allow me to stop like you stopped to that, to the homeless guy? Mm -hmm. 
one of the most powerful moments I ever had in my life that I can recall is stopping and sitting on the cardboard of a homeless man's home and asking to him and asking him, what's one thing you would tell people that would make this a better world? And he said, if people would only spend 10 minutes in the course of their lifetime with one person they don't know and ask them, how are you doing? And actually listen. And I said, why is that so important? He said, well, some years back, I, was, I, was, I decided I was going to commit suicide that day. My life, look, I'm a homeless guy. I can feel the hatred of the people around me. I, I have no purpose here. It didn't seem like I had any purpose. It didn't seem like anybody cared about me. It didn't seem like anybody, I meant anything to anybody. So I thought, why not just ease the burden of the world and my own mm-hmm. and just take my life? There's no one, will, no one will even, it won't even matter. And the moment I had that thought right after it, a guy sat down, came up to me and said, how are you? Like, let me know how you're doing. Mm-hmm. And he actually listened to me for 10 minutes. And that's the reason why I'm still alive today. Beautiful. We have no idea what 10 minutes in the course of our lifetime would mean to a person that we give those 10 minutes to. That's why I want to go around the world and listen to people. And, and again, I mean, uh, you brought up something there that, you know, is, is a huge part of my work and, the, and what I believe in that is that, you know, uh, Joseph Campbell said, um, the cage you fear to enter is the cage, uh, is the cave in which your treasure is hidden. Yes. And that cave is, your, is not only your fear, but it is your pain. And, you know, we, the, the mind compartmentalizes what it can't cope with. You know, we understand that. That's okay. Um, but w- the problem is that the unconscious mind has no chronology. And so because it has no clock, it thinks you still can't cope even though you can. And there has to be an active uh, cognitive movement towards looking into the things that we've locked away. Um, not because we have to re-experience it because as uh, a friend of mine said years ago, you even memorize, remembering it will never be as painful as experiencing it, yet we fear experiencing it. it well, you just got to go back there. When you do, something happens. And what happens is you, you discover that treasure that was buried in the pain because the mind works in such a way that it covers up the painful, but it has to cover up everything associated with it. And all the things associated with it might be wonderful. Yeah. All that gets lost. So you lose many of the wonderful memories of mom and dad because I can't deal with this pain of having lost them. Yes. yes. And so, you know, well, I also lose time with my best friend because that's part of that because that triggers into this. So we lose all the tri- all the triggers as well as the event. And what I've realized is that many of my most painful experiences uh, have led 
the moment there led was a beautiful, magnificent moment, or the moment out of it was a magnificent moment. And yeah. I've lost everything in that, what I call the black blanket of memory. It just gets thrown over there. And yeah. that willingness, courage, and I really do believe it's courage, that willingness and that courage to say, I will face my pain. I don't have to live it. Yeah. But I will face it. I will yeah. experience my memory of it, not being a victim of it, but I will be there with it. Yeah. You know, and, and to sit in that because a, it, it's going to bear the treasure I just spoke about, but it's also going to teach me something that all of us need a great deal more of. And that is empathy and compassion yep. for others who've been through anything even similar. Yep. I wrote a piece a couple of weeks ago that I placed online and it was called boy who stands on the banks of the river sticks. And I wrote it for myself. I wrote it completely, totally for myself. My wife said, well, who, you know, I was reading pieces of it to her and she goes, are you writing this for? I'm writing it for myself. I'm just writing it to understand it. And when it was complete, I decided I'm posting this unedited. They didn't even hand it to my editor. I'm posting it. And my wife said, why did you post it? And I said, because, you know, as I read it to her, I started to cry. And she, she said, why did you post that? And I said, because I can't even begin to imagine how many people have gone through something similar and never had a safe place to speak about it. And if I bring it forward, they go, oh, I can admit the pain of losing a parent. It's actually about me losing my mother. Wow. Um, And... Uh, and having to go back to the UK to visit her, but I have to take a little boy with me who doesn't want to go. Yes, I understand. The little boy is in me. And and realizing that there are so many people who were not allowed that, not given themselves permission, not given permission inside of their culture. And also so many of us, it's not real until it's real. Yeah. And so let's lubricate that up in a little bit in your in your being to understand that, Loss is a part of life. And you can't, you know, that one of the lines is grief is an ocean of unpredictable tides. Mm. You don't know when it's coming. And sometimes it will be a tsunami and other times it will be a frozen moment and you won't know when it's coming. Yeah. You so that unpacks so much for me in what I in what I and so bear with me because it brings up a few thoughts in my in my one of the big places one of the big things that I didn't even realize was one of the biggest places in the work that I do with people or companies or organizations or government is highlighted probably best in by a character in my book, who's the trash man. Mm -hmm. And the trash man is the most, as a kid, I wanted to be a trash man. (laughs) I would sit out on the the lawn and I would watch the trash man come. I was three years old, four years old, and I would watch the trash man come and I'd watch him take these big barrels that we had put outside. And I would watch them pick them up and throw them into the truck. They didn't have the mechanical things that pick them up for mm-hmm. you. There were two guys riding on the back of the truck then. And they would, they, one would do one side of the street, the other would do the other side. They would pick it up, throw it in the truck. 
And every Friday morning, they would see me there. And I would just wave to them and smile. And I was like, I think four years old. And after seeing me there for months and months and months, every Friday at the same time, one of them said, would you like to ride with us for a block? <laughs> and I, I, I like felt like I died and went to heaven. And I ran to the trash truck and my mom said, Danny, where are you? what are you doing? Where are you going? Like, my mom didn't like this idea. No, I'm, I'm sure. Man, right? She was. She said, you're brilliant. You're smart. I can see how smart you Why do you want to be a trash man? And I said, Mom, it's okay. They're not going to hurt me. I'm gonna, let me just go with them. And they said, ma'am, we'll bring him back. We promise. But, like, he's been out here every, every Friday morning for, for six months. Let, us, let him just stay, have a ride with us. And they let me help them. I could barely do anything. But they let me help them as a kid pick up the sure. cans and right to it. It's funny how what we wish for as a kid is what we become. I realized in the work that I do on the trash men, I hold the space for people to put everything that troubles them into this, into this container. And I invite them to put all that they don't want into that trash can. Mm -hmm. And the compassionate being of my soul says to them, you don't even have to have me put it in the trash can, in the trash truck. I will if you're ready to let go of it, but just empty all that pains you. Empty all the things that you no longer want into this trash can, into this receptacle. Because I want you to be able to feel for one minute.